Welcome to the RPG Podcast. And we are live. Oh, God, Pat! Presented by Sheep. A Time Wheel Production. Welcome, everyone, to another edition episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. And I am back with Dave Schmo, the Schmo Zone host. He's the host of that podcast and the Schmo and the Pro on YouTube. He's blowing up all over the internet and he's here with us today. And we're very excited to have him. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. Thanks for having me. And I know it's kind uh, of twisted for the introduction with Schmo, Dave, or whatever. I keep them separate, and you did a good job putting that together. I try. I try. Um, I've been a big fan of yours ever since I say you burst out onto the scene and to uh, on the UFC. You are one of the few press pass holders that are allowed to go to like all of these crazy events like Abu Dhabi and where, wherever the UFC are holding events. How does it feel to be a part of that group, and what is that like? You know, uh, it definitely feels special. It definitely, it's, it's, it's something I don't take for granted. It's, I, I really, really appreciate what the UFC has been able to do during this pandemic and what Dana White's been able to do. Instead of just crawling up in a ball and putting things on hold, he's kept this machine churning and going forward. And very early on, um, I let it be known to Dana. I messaged him. I said, Dana, like, I don't know where the world's headed, but I, I support what you're doing. Like, I, I, I want to be a part of this. I let him know from the early on when there were shutdowns and everything. I'm still here. I still want to cover the sport. I still want to interview these fighters. And I think he really appreciated that. Instead of being one of those mediums that attacked him, attacked the USC for the main, keep the wheels turning and moving forward. I supported what he was doing. I understood, you know, that there's both sides to this, right? Because if you turn this off, you're get, you're turning off so much hope that people that turn to sports to escape their everyday realities, you're turning off the hope for these fighters that literally are living from fight to fight, paycheck to paycheck, and need the support. He's got thousands of employees that are riding on his shoulders, and I just thought that that was far more important and significant than the actual science and health data that was saying otherwise. So uh, I think I was on the right side of this. I'm glad I was on the side of this. I don't take it for granted. And I love, love interviewing these special athletes every day. Yeah, I see you all over. Every day I've opened my Instagram, you're interviewing someone new, some major star. And that must be exciting for you. It's exciting for me to get an interview like you and I, I get to interview fighters sometimes too now. And like Jason Knight, I just interviewed and James Krause. That was awesome. And now I'm interviewing you, but you're interviewing like Izzy and Bully, um, uh, Bilal and like everyone. You know, it was just Sean O'Malley. Did you interview McGregor? I don't even know, but pretty much everyone. Pretty much McGregor's the one guy I haven't had the opportunity to interview. I've asked him questions at press conferences, but I haven't been able to have a one-on-one time with him yet. In due time, it will happen. He's one of the few on the bucket list that I've yet to check off. Yeah, you'll get him. You're just cuz you're in the belly of the beast. I've said it before and that's um a unique position I feel to just have access to all these guys and get that energy of you yeah, do you live at you live in Vegas, correct? Mm-hmm. And correct. a lot of those guys live there. So, do you do you guys do you guys, do you just hang out? 
Do you hang out with them at all? <laughs> yeah, well, I try to not pick favorites. Um, I've developed relationships with these fighters over the years, and we're all like, I, I don't care who wins or loses the fight. I, I just want to see something exciting, and I just hope they they get out relatively unscathed. No permanent damage or things that are going to jeopardize the longevity of their career. Obviously, it's fighting. Shit happens. Who knows? But I do have good relationships. It seems like uh, during this pandemic, a lot more fighters have been moving down to Vegas. A lot of guys have been utilized in the UFC Performance Institute, which is right next to UFC conveniently, or part of the UFC headquarters conveniently, rather. And it's such a valuable resource. Why wouldn't more fighters take advantage? So throughout this pandemic, and even before it, but more so now than ever, you get a lot of guys and gals that are fighters traveling in and out to Vegas, utilizing the Performance Institute, utilizing that beautiful facility, facility shout out to heather linden i know a lot of the fighters shout her out she's a great physical therapist for team um they do a great job working on these fighters so i do spend some time with fighters um you know it's it, it just it's more random and out of the moment moment or moment than anything mm -hmm. else uh, that, so do you ever do you get to utilize the PMI performance P what is it the performance institute <laughs> yeah the PI uh, before the pandemic I've used it a few times actually I've, I've sh I, because I shot a couple of schmo, the schmo versus the pro pieces of content and I know like I've used the sauna with Diego Sanchez uh, I did some of the meditation piece uh, that's a YouTube video up there um, Henry Cejudo I have a good relationship with him when he was fighting um, he's invited me there as a guest to, you know, kind of do some recovery there. But uh, I have really haven't used it since the pandemic hit, so it's been a couple of years. But you do train. You do. You're a bit of a practitioner of BJJ. Is that true? Um, I have some experience with it. I haven't been as consistent with it lately, just because of my work schedule. But I'm familiar with it. Yeah. I, I would be lying if I wasn't. Yeah, I and me too to an extent, but I'm very similar to your scenario. I just don't make or take the time to get on the mat. I've been training in boxing, which is pretty fun, but still, it's pretty far and uh, few and far between. Hundred um, percent. I guess I'll say this here. I haven't really said this much. Too. I kind of keep it. I, I keep it relatively low key. What I can and can't do. In the case I ever take some sort of celebrity fight uh, with the right <laughs> dance partner, whether it be boxing or whether it be MMA, some sort of charity celebrity event, I'm, I'm still open to that for the right partner. So I kind of keep it under wraps. And plus, in Vegas, I don't want to pick favorites with coaches. I don't want to pick Syndicate over Extreme Couture, Extreme Couture over Syndicate or any like that because I really don't have favorites. I like all the coaches and I like all the athletes. So I don't want to train with one over the other and pick sides. So I like to keep everything kind of low key. <laughs> As a journalist, I, um, you know, I know you challenged Ariel Hawani to a game of one-on-one -on -one for charity and he just like didn't even respond. Right. Oh, he responded, he responded, oh, did he? Uh, but, uh, he didn't respond in the best of ways. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, I did challenge him to anything athletic. It started with charity grappling, then it went to charity basketball, and then it went to charity anything, um, and raised money, a $50,000 prize pool, winner goes uh, to the charity, winnings go to the charity of the winner's choosing, and um, 
yeah, I thought he was the right dance partner. Um, I don't see the necessity of it now that he's no longer with ESPN. Um, but uh, I'm open to it. If he's he might not be the only right dance partner, but at the time I called him out, he was the perfect dance partner. But uh, if there's something else that arises, I'm open to it. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's probably I would say the biggest name in MMA journalism, and so I would feel like you're calling out the champ or whatever to get some of that limelight. To I mean, and maybe claim your rightful seat as the champ over you know yeah well i think i think it, it comes in a f- different a few different molds so i'm most popular as an interviewer in mma and I'm, I'm happy with that no problems with that i never saw that coming when i first started interviewing athletes it was the nfl and the nba and i'm a huge sports fan and i never got into this trying to be an mma personality i and i don't consider myself an mma personality i consider myself a sports personality like um i cover a lot of boxing Mm-hmm. I continue to cover a lot of boxing. You know, I have a lot of boxing events coming up. And uh, with the Raiders in town and, and the NFL season kind of opening back up, I'll do some more Raiders content, NFL content. But um, I don't want to be kind of just this in this bucket list of MMA and UFC in particular, even though I love it. And it will probably be my number one, and I'm okay with that. But I consider myself more of a sports personality than just an MMA personality. Yeah, you're not limited strictly to MMA. You interviewed uh, Manny Pacquiao recently. That seems mm-hmm. that's a pretty big interview. Um, you know, do you get nervous at stuff like that? Um, when I was when I was a kid, I would used to get really nervous for public speaking, and I turned kind of like my biggest fear into my greatest asset in my adult life. We're all human beings. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. We all put our underwear on one leg <laughs> at a time, as you know. And um, I don't. If, if I was to get nervous for one athlete, I would say that I'm going to be interviewing. It's my childhood hero, Michael Jordan, uh, the greatest basketball player of all time. I yes. think I would get a little nervous for that. But whether I'm interviewing Manny Pacquiao, I've interviewed him a few times now, or a Deontay Wilder, or Tyson Fury, uh, um, if Khabib comes in and crashes an interview, I'm I'm going to be in character in myself. But Michael Jordan, it might be a little different. <laughs> yeah, I watched The Last Dance two times because that was so oh, good. Times. Yeah, it's... yeah, inspirational. And he was, you know, just uh, like uh, you know, bigger than human or more than human, and still to this day holds that air of greatness you know he never to me did anything to like ruin his reputation and he just gets to hold that position for eternity (laughs) it's a beautiful thing that social media wasn't around when he was in his heyday i'll say that i'm sure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah we got to be careful these days uh you don't want to rub people the wrong way by stating political opinions that are unpopular or whatever, but some, you know, but it happens. And then sometimes we leave it in. Sometimes we don't. I imagine you don't get too much into that. You know what? I, I hate politics. I really do. I see corruption on both sides. For me, I love, I love sports and sports is people's escape from the everyday reality. I could not believe the one thing that shocked me the most during this pandemic is I thought sports would be bulletproof in the sense of, you know, this is people's escape. I don't think sports and what we learned through this pandemic, nothing, including sports, can escape 
politics. Like, and, and I, I avoid politics like the plague. I'm here to entertain and to tell these athletes stories and to use my comedic approach and, and use my shtick. I can't stand politics. But when it comes to politics, like, all I'll say is they have to group people on two sides, a left and a right and two different things. Well, guess what? Like, no one fits that mold. Exactly. No one completely. Like, I, I take parts of both sides. Same. And no one wants to put that into that middle or to represent that. And because of that, we will never have a complete side. And you have to, you marginalize people, you put them here and there. And so long story short, it's, I just completely avoid it because I just know it's not relatable. It's not realistic. And the people that are running it at the top are completely in it for themselves. Thank you. That's all that that's like well put because they're, they're all in it for themselves. Like we are all kind of in life for ourselves. They're yeah. humans too. And so we're all trying to take care of the future generations or whatever, uh, you know, ourselves and our immediate families. So sometimes that comes at the expense of others when given the opportunity. I, Cause you think we're all think we're saints, but then if you were in that position, who knows what you would do. But, uh, to say one side is better than the other, that's where I get I get a little my my feathers ruffled as well. It's like just they're both they're all the same. We're all humans. And so it, sports is a great escape. And I'm so happy that Dana was able to push forward with the UFC like he did and put all of the other sports behind the UFC in the run for you know longevity or I, I feel like they are positioned very well. And a lot of these other sports where they were the top dog, like football and NBA, maybe not so much because they did get too political. Anyways, I love what he's doing, you know, just let, and he lets the fighters speak their minds and stuff. I like that shit. Let them say their, what they're going to say, unless it's hurting someone, you know, I'm not about that, but you know, he lets them say what they what they want to say, and and I, I appreciate that. Uh, have you've you've had you've been able to speak with him quite a few times? How's that? Yeah, no, I, I think he's super down to earth. He's a realistic guy, and what you just said to your point, and when you allow people to speak their minds, and you're not censoring anybody, that's the ultimate form of equality. That's that's just opening up the floodgates to just you know putting yourself out of the situation like the NFL and the NBA, yes, they're the most popular sports in this country, but now they have to backtrack because they chose political sides. Like I found it fascinating that during the NBA bubble that they had BLM on the, on the backcourt, you know, on the hardwood. And then literally a few months later, because of the money losing sponsors and the backlash you saw for this upcoming season that happened a few months later, BLM was off the court. Literally, where did that movement go? It just disappeared. Political reasons, you know, with China and everything. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to call out the hypocrisy. Uh, in, ter- like in terms it. with Dana, in terms with Dana, um, you know, I, I just like his approach. It, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if, if, if what your beliefs are. He doesn't mm-hmm. care what your ethnicity is, what your gender, or like, like if, if you're gay, if you're straight. He doesn't. It doesn't matter to him. It's can you fight? You know, you know. It's, it's, it's. That's what it comes down to. It's can you fight? And the respect I have too, it's look, I know this is an entertainment and this is a business 
And But if you look at the history of combat sports and you look at how boxing's structured, there are so many different mouths to feed and pieces to the pie. There's the WBC, the WBO, the IBF. There's so many different belts and organizations. The best fighters fight the best fighters in the UFC. Granted, some there's contract negotiations and some things don't work out. Like Obviously, there's situations where you could have an interim heavyweight champion. But ultimately, the best fighters fight the best fighters. And that's why I have so much respect for Dana. And he doesn't give a shit. It could, oh, sorry, if I'm not allowed it's to okay. <laughs> He doesn't care at what your political belief is, even if it's different than his. It's can you fight? That's what I respect. I respect that too, the ultimate equality. Um, <laughs> do you, so why did they put um, Gagne versus... Lewis, like why uh, Cyril Gan, whatever, uh, instead of Nganu? Why didn't Nganu fight? Well, I think there's a few different reasons for this. I think I think uh, what a lot of it boils down to is kind of a miscommunication between um, Nganu's camp and the UFC. I think there was an expectation that he would be ready sooner than that, and on from the UFC side and on Francis Ngannou's side it's look we want to fight we're going to be ready to fight but it's not august it's going to be september i think i think francis and his team had it set that they'd be fighting in that september 25th card which is here in vegas the ufc um, you know they had amanda nunes title fight against juliana pena and i know they wanted another title fight and houston and derek lewis is from houston i think they really had that circled for francis francis had some travel plans francis had life plans and they were pretty much just from a timing standpoint a month apart i know it seems pretty odd too because he only had the bell for three months four months and created an interim you know i can see both sides of this story it is very very unique and very very different from a business side i completely understand why they had to have the interim heavyweight title fight um it makes a lot of sense it does yeah but i think if we look at the present and where we're at right now, this Tuesday, fine Tuesday morning, and it's August 10th uh, when we're recording this podcast, I think it's working out quite well with the storylines that you have Cyril gone, who I think has proven himself now with looking at his competition, undefeated, his background, former training partners with Francis Ngannou, the storylines there. Maybe they open up the first card in France with mm. MMA, depending on the world situation. Uh, but like Dana said this in the post fight press conference and it, and it's kind of, I kind of liked this jab and I thought it was kind of unique. He's like Vince as in Vince McMahon could not have scripted a better storyline than how this is shaped out to be. And I kind of agree with that. And if you're Derek Lewis, look, you got to fight for the heavyweight title in front of your hometown fans. That's what he would have done too. Had he won the fight, he would have had a double type situation of payday in terms of belts on the line, um, pay-per-view points. So um, the way it worked out is the way it worked out. It kind of sucks. It's kind of unfortunate. But like, it's not like they stripped Francis Ngannou. No. It's not like they stripped him. He's still the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> well, uh, not for long, some might say. This podcast is brought to you by ohanakavabar.com. Now, ohana means family. But what is kava? Kava is a route from the South Pacific. It makes you calm and happy. Just go to ohanakavabar.com, choose your favorite brew. They have many to choose from with more on the way. 
And I personally like the tincture. It tastes good. It gets you quick and you're calm and relaxed in a moment. It cools and calms the nerves. And I think you'll like it. Let them know we sent you. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors and support this company. So go to ohanakababar.com. Use promo code SHEATH. You're going to love it. It doesn't taste that great. But chase it with a nice pineapple. You will not be disappointed. Trust me on that. OhanaCalvabar.com. Ohana's family. Use promo code SHEATH. You're welcome. Last but not least, SheathUnderwear.com. The greatest underwear on the planet. The underwear of legends. The underwear that keeps your balls from sticking to your legs. That's right. This is the best underwear because it keeps your boys cool. Check out sheathunderwear.com. Back to the show. As Zero Gone was looking quite like frisky, he was bouncing around side to side, front and back, really gave Derek Lewis, who beat Nganu, kind of, by decision. Most boring fight, uh, uh, heavyweight fight like that, but uh, they would both agree. But yeah, no, hey, Derek Lewis has beaten Francis Nganu. That, that still, still holds true. Yeah, and... Cyril was quite impressive. I was like, oh, shit. I wasn't sure with all the guys he beat before, even though they were good. But when he beat uh, Lewis pretty handily, I mean, finished him. And Derek Lewis is the Black Beast. He doesn't really get finished very often. I think maybe um, uh, DC got him, but... I love this sport. I do love this sport. We, uh, I saw. I, I was really happy for Tisha Torres. You know, we used to sponsor her, and we, she's here from Colorado Springs, and we stay cool and work together from time to time. And she's, you know, these fighters go from like ups and downs in their careers, and it's all mental, right? And and so she seems to be on a very like positive mental attitude about her moving forward in, in her career. Cause it seems like sometimes these fighters, the journeyman types that have been around for a while, they're just make like they just come and fight and get their paycheck a little bit. Yeah. You know, it, it, it depends. It, this sports filled with uh, fighters at very different stages of their careers too. You know, some people start later and have different ambitions too. Like, it's so crazy because if you think about it, like Randy Couture, I think I think recently, you know, we both are probably big fans of the Joe Rogan podcast, and I think he was talking to Chad Mendes about how Randy Couture started his UFC career when he was like turning 34 years of age, and like for 10 years up until he was 44, you know, he became the light heavyweight champion and the heavyweight champion of the world in such later ages stages of his, of his career. And there's some people that get into the sport just looking to fight because they're good at it and they want the money. There's some people that get into the sport that they do it for sport because they want to be a world champion. You know, it, it, it's very, very different. And you get people on all different levels at the highest level uh, in terms of mindset. And it's a very unique thing. And what you just said about Tisha, you're right. I think she was on a three or four fight losing streak. And then she flipped the switch and now she's on like a three fight win streak or something like that. And she has fought the who's who. And it, and now, if now then ever, this chapter of her career, this is her resurgence to going back to contend for that for that title belt, which which has always been a goal of hers. 
And Angela Overkill Hill was like, she was on a tear. And I yeah. didn't see that coming. But she's now lost two in a row to uh, Karate Hottie and Tisha. And so that's crazy how this sport, like they were putting her up on not a pedestal, but, you know, she's going into the, the you know, the ESPN desk uh, analyzing mm-hmm. the fights. And, and I don't know who, how or they pick people to do that, you know. What do you have? How does that work? Yeah, I think I think there's like an audition process. Like oh. everybody's ultimate goal. I think the number one slated spot is like when you're cage side, broadcast side. Like where Anik is, where Rogan, where Bisping is broken into, Paul Felder, DC, Dominic Cruz. Those guys are cage side. They're at the broadcast. Well, to get to that point, you know, you got to audition. They put people at the desk. You know, I say upstairs because in the apex, that that whole production area is upstairs where they kind of rotate people in there, you know, Bully B, Bilal Muhammad, he's getting some reps in now. Michael Chandler, who I recently just interviewed, he was in Houston. Uh, Actually, he was doing the weigh-in show. They do a weigh-in show for the pay-per-views with, like, DC, I think is uh, a guy from the football world, Dan Helley, he's the host there. He comes from, like, the NFL network. Um, uh, Laura Sanko, she does that, and and Chandler was, was their guest for that, too. So, they put them on the weigh-in show. Um, they put them in the broadcast up there. I know Kiesa, I've seen Walt Harris, Angela Overhill, Hill Kill. Um, she was there. But they kind of just feel them out up in those roles before they would bring them, you know, down there, cage side. Right. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that worked. You know, you probably get the most, uh, I would think, the most animated types of characters. Like Bisping is, you know, just a talker. And uh, Felder... Cruz for sure, DC. So, and I guess you put them through the trials and see if they pass. And uh, I imagine winning has a plays a part in you know whether or not they stay on or something. I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I imagine it's a factor. Oh, for sure. I mean, their credibility is huge. Like, yeah. I just you know um, when you have Dominic Cruz arguably the greatest, if not the greatest Bantamweight of all time. DC, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time right there. Bisping, you know, his trials and tribulations, former champion, speaks for itself, Hall of Famer. And then Paul Felder, he's a top 10 lightweight during his heyday, but what really separates him, too, is he's not only is he a good-looking guy, they're all good-looking guys, let me just say that that right off the bat, you you know, and everything, too. But he's really charismatic on the mic, and he breaks it down extremely well. And with being a top ten lightweight at his best, you know, you know, he has the credentials. He checks off enough of the boxes where it fits the mold really well. So, and chemistry, I think, is huge too. Yeah, um, knowing when to speak and how to speak because they have earpieces in, and they got producers speaking their ears to do certain things. You know, it's. Uh, they really put them through the ringer to really test to see if they can do it. And I think those guys have, have proven over time that they are where they are because of what they've been able to do with it. Yeah. And Felder's such a fucking badass. Like he's all, every fight he's ever lost, I think was like by chin hair or something split decision or whatever. Always a battle. I'll never forget in Phoenix when he beat James Vick. It was the first ESPN card. I think it was like 2018 or beginning of 2019 or whatever it was. And he beat James Vick and he beat him with a punctured lung. 
Mm-hmm. He was fighting the last round with a punctured lung. And the, the no quit, I was cage side for that. The way the dog in him, and even the war he had with Dan Hooker, too. Oh, my like, God. I mean, the wars this guy has, the entertainment value, it, it's always been there as a fighter. And I think it's translated for him, just like Bisping. Uh, it's translated to him on the broadcast. And I think as a huge fan of the sport and being as close as I am to the sport, that's something I don't take for granted. And I, I respect and appreciate the most for a guy like Paul Felder. Yeah, he's very respectable. And I think that's, he's, I don't know. I think he retired again, but uh, I'm and not he's sure. Retired. Yeah, he's, he's retired. He's, he's a triathlete now, which is something I respect too. He's, he's, he's competing in half Ironman, 70.3s, and he's going to be doing full Ironmans, I know too. But, so he's, he's a beast. He is a beast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him on here one day. 100%. But, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, you know, it's cool because we get to, I get to talk to guys like you and a lot of, you know, you mentioned Rogan a minute ago, for and we are both big fans. As a lot of the people I we sponsor have, like, gone through his show, and that's how I found out about him in a lot of cases. And him having stepped away from YouTube and stepping more away from the UFC is allowing a lot of new talent to fill that vacuum. And I, and I love him for that. I'm like, you know, it's like he's giving all these other people opportunities, maybe not even, you know, on purpose, but allowing for that space to be filled. And he still comes in from time to time or whatever. But I just think that that's really, uh, you know, a lot of people stick around maybe too long, um, outstay their welcome, or, you know, you got these, no offense, whatever, they, these boxing dudes are like 90 and i'm like yo take it easy retire let a new guy uh, do his thing i 100 percent agree with you and as the schmo i've been trying to get in there as new blood you know break the mold of the traditional broadcast and with with the personality and the shtick is the schmo and i totally agree with you and 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 then quickly backtracking to what you said with rogan um you know, he's he doesn't do the international pay-per-views. He's he's cage side. He covers all the domestic pay-per-views. Ironically, this one in Houston this past week when we were there, this was the first time, I have no idea how long it's been since Rogan has missed a domestic pay-per-view, and that's why Dominic Cruz filled in and stepped in for him in that situation. Um, but I, I have so much respect for Rogan because he does pay it forward and, and, and pass it through the next generations. And he's not there trying to be the domineering voice. You know, he knows his place. He's a huge fan of the sport. And I respect him for everything like that. And to your point, Ben, what you just said about boxing, so many dinosaurs, so many fossils. And it's like this way in, in other sports too. But it's like, how are you going to attract the younger ge- generations, the mobile audiences, the 18 to 24-year-olds to come to the sport when you have a guy, uh, fully gray, 67 <laughs> years old, not shouting out any names, that, that do- cannot relate to anybody on the broadcast that has been doing it the same exact way for decade after decade after decade, doesn't even care to, to, to know this modern generation and what the f- modern fam wants, and, and you expect to attract that new audience? Get out of here. It's laziness. Yeah, it's uh, time to turn the page in your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, right off into the sunset. And But people, like, even fighters stay on too long. And, and maybe it's they, that 
the glory, the limelight, the attention, you know, the money helps, but it, there, there's there's a ways to transition. Like so many, like people who get their start in the UFC, or now they're doing podcasts. Now they have YouTube channels or whatever. And I'm love. I mean, I wasn't loving the Paul brothers, but then I kind of started loving them <laughs> just because it gives it more attention to boxing and and MMA, and it just it's uh, just mixes it up a little bit, you know, more. Yeah, I I I totally respect what the Paul brothers built. Nothing was given to them. They earned this. They earned their audience, and they're so good at building something and maintaining it, and building and building and building an entertainment value, regardless if if they have the right credentials in fighting or not. They're adding entertainment to this, and they're and they're speaking up on stuff. And regardless if you find it genuine or not. Jake Paul is bringing awareness to fighter pay, which is. is obviously a big thing. And when it comes to the UFC and MMA, it's a big touchy subject. I mean, even uh, actually, she's coming on our pod- podcast uh, for this next episode. We're going to have Cheyenne Bays and JP Bays, her husband. Um, Cheyenne Bays got that fifty thousand dollars bonus the other week, and she collapsed when she found out about it. This whole fighter pay. So we're going to talk to her. But um, I, it's it's like a huge thing, and all the everyone's writing about it and talking about it. But Jake Paul's a big proponent of it, and what he's doing for boxing too, and and adding people to his undercard and, and bringing up their name and recognition, uh, regardless of what you feel about him, he's putting more revenue in the right hands, and for that you have to respect that. You, I mean, there's no other way around that. Agreed. Yeah, it's a tough subject for a UFC fighter, maybe to bring up but because he's outside of the system he can kind of advocate on their behalf and and i know sean o'malley just said something it was on the internet and it's like why can't you just pay people what they deserve i don't know i run a business you know and it's tricky you got i mean you pay the ones who perform better more and the new ones you get you got to kind of earn your spot and uh cheyenne bays man that i don't know if i said that right but that was fucking killer i was i was so just moved by that and all of us were watching that over and over every all over twitter and and um you know and i saw the fight she fucking barely didn't get dq'd from that kick i know i know I, i i saw the replay again last night uh, I was looking at it. It was literally by centimeters too. She had just lifted up. It's like, and and I know she wasn't watching. It was more instinctual. If it was timed any other time, it could have been a DQ. I saw that too. It's funny because I don't think a lot of people have talked about that. But I think that was luck. I'm, oh, that, 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 so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask her about that too. I'm gonna ask her about that. Oh, that's a that'd be a great question. I love that. Um, and so man, this is going great. Thank you so much for coming on. We still got a little bit of time, and I, but I want to talk about a few things. Like, you went? To, did you go to the University of Arizona? I did. I was an Arizona Wildcat. Wildcats, and you got a like a degree in journalism ish something. I say journalism, but it was uh, communication. Okay, well that's important. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's writing. I was. I was 
it's much better than doing, uh, you know, accounting and the yeah. other stuff I was doing when I first enrolled and was in the business school. And I'm like, what am I doing this for? I wanted, I want to write more. I want to do more broadcast stuff. Um, so and I, so I you, transition. but you had that, you had this, maybe you were like most kids, maybe didn't exactly know you wanted what you wanted to do, but did, or did you? I kind of did. I, it was always in sports. It was, it was kind of a unique situation for me because I always thought I was going to law school to be a sports agent. Hmm. But while I was doing that, I was always doing broadcasting. Like my senior year of high school, I went to a high school with like 6,000 kids. Wow. Uh, it was like going to a junior college. I would do these Friday morning announcements with my good friend and we would always mess around and, and do shit and, and everyone would laugh those Friday mornings when we would come on and we would do our thing before school started and everyone watched. I'm like, oh, this is fun. So then by the time I got to college, I just for fun, um, I did UA, University of Arizona TV. I auditioned for the sports role, but they gave me the main anchor news role. And I didn't really enjoy it because mm. I wasn't sports and I'd do these research. There's always these negative stories. It's like, Six people died in Nogales, you know, got drug smuggling, shootings at the border, all that. I'm like, <laughs> I have to do all this negative shit. And then my senior year is I was studying for the, uh, for the um, LSAT to get into law school. Um, I, uh, I was doing, I had auditioned for the Arizona Athletics. It's called Cat Nation, a pregame show. So I was hosting our basketball and our football teams, like pregame show. I was on the court. I was interviewing like Sean Miller, the coach at University of Arizona, some of the, the basketball players. And that's when I, I kind of realized my senior year, the epiphany is like, I don't want to go to law school. I want to get into sports broadcasting. So that's kind of how the journey really fully turned for me. Um, so I've been kind of blessed to always kind of know what I've wanted to do. I just never knew exactly how I was going to get there because I saw the writing on the wall early that this industry was changing. You know, I, when 2012, I was sending DVDs to, to, to all these, like, small markets, like the Shreveport, Louisiana's, the, you know, wow. uh, uh, Sioux Falls, um, wherever it was, um, to, just to break in, to be a weekend news anchor, weekday sports reporter, because that was how you got in. And to see how everything transitioned and how all the twists and turns and the failures for me to get to this point and, and be completely independent and build it on my own, this industry started changing and the old school, the dinosaurs, I like to call them, they didn't want to change with the times and still kind of are reluctant to change with the times. So I'm blessed to be in a situation where I could be an entrepreneur and create for myself. That's beautiful. I, uh, you know, failure is such a part of success and, you know, not getting those jobs in Sweetport, Indiana, or whatever, yeah. uh, was a blessing, ultimately, probably, maybe, because you might still be there to this day doing the weather or something. Yeah, you never know. But, and, but the, I loved what you said about sport, you know, you were doing the main headline news, and it was so negative, and... It is. And sports stories are rarely, they're always pretty positive. You know, I, I just thought of that. It's like there's not a connotation of negativity when it comes to sports news. It's be someone won, some triumph, some overcoming adversity. And uh, that's so just eye opening in a weird way that you 
gravitated more towards that and away from what might have been a main anchor position, which is pretty prominent. You know, to get those pay well, and you could have just taken care of yourself in that regard, but you steered away from that and sports isn't usually like the number one story but you still wanted to be in part of that rather than in, in the, the main anchor so that you could do what you loved you know sports are so important to me and, and even helen my girlfriend she's she's right now she's training for the 2024 olympics uh 50 freestyle and she was a child prodigy swimmer her parents from China, English as a second language, didn't even understand what a college scholarship was and kind of forced her to quit swimming before she even peaked. She was junior Olympics. She could have been Olympic trials back then. And now getting back into it, you know, over a decade later. And, and for me, my whole dream was to be a professional athlete as a kid. And when I realized at 16, I wasn't going to be, you know, a professional <laughs> basketball player, I figured the next best thing to do would be talking about it or representing the people that are playing it. I wanted to be involved with it because I think sports are such an important thing for everybody in life. Like they teach you so much about life, how to win, lose, face adversity, uh, build chemistry, uh, team, everything. They teach leadership. You so leadership. So many following. lessons. Yeah, sorry. Following. Everything about yourself. So everything about sports I love in terms of just bringing it into everyday life. And that's why it's so important to me. I wanted to be in the NBA too. I was on the high school basketball team. I made the freshman team after not making the middle school team like Jordan or something like that. But you didn't I make made the, the varsity team. You made uh, the team, but it wasn't varsity. Oh, that's okay. Well, see, I, I didn't even make the team in middle school. And then the only way I made the team my freshman year is because they had an A and B freshman squad. Yeah. And if you didn't quit, you could be on the team and they pushed us like people were throwing up in buckets and running suicides and all that stuff. And I just didn't quit. And I made the team. And then the next year, sophomore year, I, I made the sophomore team, never made JV, never made varsity, but I, I actually made the sophomore team like of my own volition, you know, like there were cuts and I cried. It was so sweet. That was the pinnacle of my basketball career was making the sophomore basketball team but uh i wasn't tall enough i would used to hang from the rafters and try to i mean i don't know if that would have helped even if i was six five you know there's a lot of six five guys you still got to be quick and agile and have some coordination but uh i would like to play you one-on-one -on -one. <laughs> Well, hey, when I see you in person, let's play basketball. I love that. I, I, I love basketball. We could definitely yeah, me, do that. Yeah, I just, it's so meditative for me. I like to just go out on the court by myself sometimes and just, you know, shoot around. Yeah. Well, when we see each other, we can definitely have a friendly game. I'm, okay. I'm no problem with that. I'm actually coming to Vegas in September. We're going to lock in the dates, but to hang with, well, do a photo shoot with Marino, Brandon, the baby assassin. Yes, we'll link up when you come in town in September. That sounds great. We'll do yeah, that. okay. Have you had a chance to kick it with him? I haven't had a chance to kick it. Well, he's been on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I saw and, you with him. Yeah. And I've interviewed him. Uh, yeah, you know, like we haven't like we haven't like had dinner. Or, I was there for his, uh, his title celebration in Phoenix. I have kicked it with him a little bit. I, I can't sugarcoat it. I've, I, I got to know him a little bit. He's a, such a great dude. He's a great yeah. dude. 
I'm so happy for this uh, division and the fact that we sponsor him and he won. I was like on fire because, you know, we've sponsored Cowboy and we've sponsored all these fighters who were, you know, trying to make it to the top. And, and time after time, we kind of get a little bit of disappointment, you know, when they don't win. But uh, when he won, it, it, and he wasn't really supposed to win, kind of, you know. Right, right. I mean, I mean, the way Davidson Figueredo was looking, um, it just looked like he was going to be there to stay for the long call. And looking at the history of that division, too, in the flyweights, like Demetrius Johnson and the long call, and I know Henry Cejudo beat him, and they haven't had too many champions, too. And, and, the, and just the people there hold and reign the title, for long periods of time, a lot of people didn't see it coming, but you knew if Brandon Moreno was to upset him and beat him in this fight, man, he's got an entire country behind him and he was going to explode. And that he did. Yeah. And like the world, you know, he's not even, um, segmented or to, to just Mexico, you know, like everyone loves him cause he's so lovable. Yeah. And, and he's a another testament of will where he got cut from the UFC and worked his way back and now he's a champion. I don't know if there's ever been a UFC champion that was cut by the UFC and oh, came wow. back to win the championship. I don't know if that's he might be the first. Well, I'm I get to interview him. I might I'm gonna try to just have a conversation with him. I know he doesn't speak the best English, but it's pretty good. No, it's good. We had a whole, I've had him on the podcast twice. Two, okay. So I've had two hours of just straight English talk with him. He's good. I mean, it's English is a second language, but compared to a lot of other people where English is a second language, he is far superior. I'm hoping he reigns for quite some time and just, cause everyone loves him and he's, he gets a lot like the Nganu picture where Nganu is kind of like putting his shoulder on uh, his uh, his uh, elbow on his on Brandon's head. It's just he's just fun. I actually just got him a present, Brandon. I got him. He's probably not going to see this, but if you do, I got you a Lego set. Amazing. He loves that, <laughs> and it, it, he loves that. He's such a friendly guy, and and you'll find this out too. He doesn't have right now a clear, definitive challenger at the flyweight division. It's kind of up for grabs, so who's going to be his first title defense? So hopefully by the time you get to him, you can pry that out of him, or it might just be released and we know something, but uh, you'll be able to get his, some of his first initial thoughts on that. I think will be pretty cool. I'm, I keep waiting for Cejudo to make a return. <laughs> so I, I have a really good relationship with Henry. He actually called me last night. Mm. Um, he, was, he was shopping uh, baby strollers. I don't think Cejudo returns unless it's for a huge name slash huge payday. Like, I think it's got to be an Alexander Volkanovsky so he can go for the featherweight strap. You know, I think he would do that. Quadruple C? Quadruple C. C4. 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 Um, Maybe Peter Jan in Russia intrigues him to an extent, but not as much as Volkanovsky. I think what really is going to get him over the top is if he can take a fight that adds to his incredible legacy. It's got to be a legacy fight. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, I hope he just holds on to his legacy as it is now, which is great, and just right off. Yeah, because and I'm like, if Khabib came back, you know, and lost or whatever, that it's just like you can. I like when they walk away and as a winner, that's pretty sweet. Not 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 enough people do that. 
you know? Yeah. And and Khabib is th- that one type of guy where it's it's done. He's not going for thirty. No, it's twenty nine and zero. He's he's coach Khabib, and I can't see him ever taking another fight. That's that's really for the record. Maybe an exhibition for something, some charity work or some really good cause, and something where it's all fun and games. That the competition isn't really at where it's been at its height. Um, but it's very very rare to see that. Like Chad Mendez, we had brought him up earlier. He's coming back at 36, and he's not coming back to the USC. He's coming back to fight Bare Knuckle. The itch never left. Ooh, ooh yeah, Bare Knuckle. I did just in, um, uh, talk to Jason, the kid nice. Knight, and he did Bare Knuckle, and you know he's he's debuting back in PFL, and and he was a fucking savage, but. Like we were saying earlier, you have these ups and downs in the career, and he's back on his upswing, and it's all mental. He, you know, I talked to him about that. And how do you, how do you stay, you know, because what's so cool about fighting is like all that stuff translates into life and resilience and overcoming obstacles, like we all do every day, if you think about it that way. Uh, but you are, you know. Uh, trying to build a name for yourself. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've had discouraging times in the past. Like, what have do you? What do you do to stay positive and keep going? And yeah, uh, that's a that's a great question. I've had a lot of failures to get to this point, and I'm still creating for a lot of failures each new week to, in order to build and grow and get back stronger. But the positive mindset, it's, 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 you got to enjoy the process and the journey and, you know, have the mindset of when you feel like the world's stacked against you and you're not growing, you're feeling stagnant and you wish you could be there. You know, sometimes I have to take myself back and think about where were you this time last year? Where were you two years ago, three years ago? I I know what it feels like to be rock bottom and to have no money and, and, and to, to be living with my brother and trying to, to just, you know, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and grind into, to, to make my dream a reality. And I, I'm so fortunate to be in this position now and just to be grateful and where I can be my own boss, pave my own way, cover the sports and the athletes that I want to cover and not to report to anybody. And again, I just want to, my whole goal in this is to be the best sports personality in the world. I just want to wake up every day, talk sports, and make people laugh. That's that's I, that's my premise. That's what oh, I always God. have to remind myself: is wake up, talk sports, entertain. That's that's the goal. That's always the number one goal. So, um, I guess my best thing to do is just to to make sure that I exercise daily, one hour sweat every single day. It doesn't matter if it's um, yoga, Pilates, strength and conditioning plyometrics it doesn't matter sweat every day go for a hike whatever it is that's that's my call calling i love to get sun that's why i love living in the southwest living here in vegas and i lived in southern california before that i grew up outside of chicago where only for three months of the year like memorial day to labor day was like the best place to live i think in the country and i could argue the world but after that i wanted nothing to do with it and you know just shoveling snow and scraping ice i'm just so grateful where I feel like being in the West, things are much more progressive, where I, I can be more free-spirited and, 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 and take risks. I'm a risk-taker. And I just like having the freedom 
to take risks because if I fall, I know how to pick myself up twice as fast. And that's something that um, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of. You can't be afraid to fail. Michael Jordan said, I have failed and I've failed and I've failed. And that is why I succeed. Something like that. It's, it's uh, your, your will to win should always outweigh your fear of failure. And I think uh, will to, will to succeed, and and if you have that, if you have anything remotely like that, even if it's a fifty-one forty-nine percent ratio, you're going to end up okay. Yeah, that fear is a mindset, and um, I try to live have an abundance mindset, and that, that whole gratitude of attitude of gratitude you're just displaying is so prevalent in like the success the successful people I want to be like anyways, you know, and, uh, in the books that I read and try to talk about on here, like think and grow rich, uh, success through a positive mental attitude, seven habits of highly successful people. You want to like po being positive is like one of the pillars because shit's going to get negative. And if you let it bring you down, you're more likely to quit and stuff like that. And, and if your will to win is greater than your fear of failure, that's where you're on the right side of the paradigm in your mind because you want to live, you don't want to live in fear. That's horrible to live in fear. And it's going to translate into uh, like reality or something, uh, you know? Yes. You have and you know, visualization. I have all these pictures of guys go like like this. Ah, they just won. You know, like uh, I don't even know who that guy is. He just he won one of his fights, and I have like Dustin Poirier and um, Tony Ferguson. Just right after the win, that moment of glory and is that triumph is that's what I, I think we all want from time to time. You know, just and when I visualize myself and my team, I see us sort of like in a Bulls championship locker rooms, like champagne, laughing, crying. We won. We did it. I <laughs> because, like, that's another part of success is is you know like what do you want out of it you know where you think where are you going and visualizing that moment of being there i don't know what you if you visualize or do anything like that yeah what's that, what's that like for you yeah yeah success is a progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal and that's something that earl nightingale said in oh, fireside yeah. chats of in the 50s and 60s and it's still prevalent today so i visualize where I want to be, what it looks like, you know, how I'm helping people, like what, what do I want my life to look like? You know, I, I look at what I have now and I just see it as a temporary state. I see it as progressively working towards a goal. So I wake up every single day with ambition, with hope, with, with opportunity to seize that moment, to seize the day. So who can I interview this week? Where can I travel to next week? You know, and, and what can I do differently and better before? How can I continue to grow my brand? How can I improve numbers, uh, visualize different ways? Like, sure, I've been able to maximize what I'm doing in the MMA community. How can I expand that to the NFL, to the NBA community? 
you know, and so I'm always thinking about how to be better and what that looks like and where I want to be in the life that I want to live. And like, that's what keeps me going. Beautiful. Yeah. A lot of people I think are just kind of stuck in the what is, but if you can, you have to appreciate what is, be grateful for what you have now, but also that vision for the future is key. Otherwise you're like aimless and drifting. And, but what you can agree to, because I know you have this too, it's anyone can have a dream, but what are you willing to do about it? How are you going to execute? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to be a dog? Are you willing to swim in the muck? Are you willing to put in all the work necessary to achieve your goal? And very few people I find are willing to put in the work. Anyone can talk. Anyone can say they want to do shit. But can you actually go out and execute and do it? That that's where you find out what cloth people are cut from. That's how you separate, you know, the men from the boys, or you know, from the the thinkers and the doers, you know. And um, that speaks for itself. I love it. Yeah, it's an. I'm obsessed. It seems like you're obsessed, and you have to be obsessed to an extent to be a success. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much. Dave, for coming on the show today, the Robert Patton Global Podcast. Thanks you and the fans. We'll get a lot out of this. We try to talk about the mindset of a successful individual, and and you just did that perfectly. I really appreciate it. It was fun, and I uh, look forward to seeing you and playing that basketball game. Of course, I'll see you in September and just want to give a huge shout out to you, Robert, and your podcast. Uh, I love what you're doing. I love the business that you've created. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the most comfortable underwear that I know I've, I've ever worn in my life and continue to wear. It is a game changer and it's stylish, it's comfortable, and it's a great conversation piece. It is. And uh, you're welcome. And uh, thank you again for coming on here. So, Everyone, we'll be back soon. we got a lot more podcasts coming like faster and faster. So we'll be pumping them out um, more often. So stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Peace.